Welcome to Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 4, and Obol for Karen. I 100% did not look up how to say that word. Somebody tweeted at us how to say that word. Yeah, but that was like but, last week. I don't yeah. remember. It was like a hard K with a hint of a, a CH. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, why am I? He could be just sending us something to make us confused. I don't know. Right. But anyways. You just blindly trust when people give you information on the internet. Well, I was thinking about our Twitter discussion about the pronunciation of yogurt. And oh, right, yes. I was like, um... Anyway. Uh, some I stand by that the British pronounce the H, but whatever. Uh, some production notes for this episode. It was directed by Lee Rose, who also directed the season one episode, Choose Your Pain. The writers were... Well, there was a whole team of writers. Jordan Nardino also wrote season one ep- episode, Vaulting Ambition. And he's one of the co-executive producers for seasons one and two. I feel like if they wrote an episode, they're probably also a producer at this yeah. point. Like we can just we can just take that on faith. Yeah. Uh, the episode was a little long. It was about 50 minutes in length. Kate. Yeah. How did you like this episode? I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel as I haven't liked any of the episodes quite as much as I liked the first episode. Mm-hmm. I liked it better than episode two, or I liked it better than last week's episode. Was this three or four? This was episode four. Right. The second one was the away team. Episode. Right. So the first two I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one I was kind of eh about. Mm-hmm. And then this one I liked, but not as much. I liked that Tignataro was back. Because mm-hmm. she's great. Yes. Uh, I do not know Tig's pronouns. I'm just going to quickly look that up. I was going to say, let's quickly look that up. Wikipedia seems to say she. I don't know if that is accurate. And her Twitter doesn't say anything different, so I'm going to go with she. Somebody please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. All right, cool. So I liked all of those bits. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't know. I felt that it was kind of slow, I guess. I felt like there was some parts of this episode that could have been edited out. It feels a bit like they just had all these bits that they really wanted to include, and so they kind of shoved them all into this episode. And while I enjoyed all the bits, I also felt like there's a few parts where it was like, well, why are they sticking that in here? Mm -hmm. Um, And also... Holy, our prediction was way wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it made sense before, though. So I mean, I, mean I, I think that, though, in a way it's correct, because I feel like this is the launching off point to that. I agree. And so, like, the obol is, like, the, the, the price you pay to start the next part of your journey. And so I think that this is, like, that you know, step into this next journey. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about this again with each of the sort of storylines that are in here? I mean, we kind of have to with this one because they were all so separate. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so let's do the Spock storyline first, I guess. Which I guess starts with the uh, number one. Yeah. What did you think of number one? I thought the performance was excellent. But again, this felt like we need to somehow keep the Spock thread going and we need to get them this information. And let's do that with a cameo and an info dump. I didn't mind it because it wasn't, I didn't think it was too much of an info dump. I think it was just reiterating what we'd learned last. Because she didn't really say anything new. It was more of just a reminder of, you know, this is where we left off with Spock. That is fair. She definitely thinks something is up. And yeah, she, she's on your side of conspiracy. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought the performance was good. I thought it was very much in keeping with Majel Barrett's performance in The Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was well done. Did you, when she appeared on the transporter with that mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. did you feel it was slightly male gazy? Uh. I didn't notice anything, honestly. You didn't notice anything? Because I feel like it starts with, like, a close-up of, like, part of her body as she materializes and then sort of, like, swoops around her. Honestly, what I was paying attention to was uh, the her outfit, like, the, the uniform. The uniform? So that might be what they were trying to show, because I actually really like how they've done the uniform, and it was interesting to get some close-ups on it. Okay. Okay. But, um, I don't know if... Like, that's just me. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, and I kind of wanted to, just with that in mind. It was only on reflection when I was like, yeah, well, like, <sighs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, so this box storyline, number one, comes and gives some a little bit of info. But also, like, she shows up and she has a burr and then she leaves. Is that what happens? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she beams across the universe? No, I think that the Discovery goes back to where Enterprise is, because it's going to be in, it's having major system problems. Oh, so they, like, did a flyby or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I guess maybe transferred a few crew members at the same time? Yeah, that was that was weird that that lady just showed up. Yeah. Not, num- <laughs> not number one, the other lady. Commander Non. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the bread. Like the bread? Non-bread? Oh, okay. I hadn't okay. realized her name before, so when you said it there, I was like, oh, that's a weird name. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and they also use this to explain that the Enterprise is ripping out their holographic comm system because it's causing problems. I assume that's a Easter egg? That's, I guess, to help explain why in the original series they don't use holographic comm systems. They just use view screens. And I'll be curious to see if if they pick up on this a little bit further and extrapolate it to why the entire fleet would switch back to view screens from holographic comm systems. Just let them have it. Just, you know, they tried really hard. It's fine. Mm-hmm. These sorts of things happen all the time mm-hmm. with prequels. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, and then we don't really get directly back to the Spock storyline, except for the, the like, you know, we only have so much time to fix this other major problem because we're losing track of Spock's shuttle. 
Yeah, and he's then, sort of like the motivation behind needing to get away. Yeah, yeah. Aside from them not wanting to, like, be destroyed, they well, need to not be destroyed so they can track Spock. I guess. Like, I mean, I guess they also just don't want to be destroyed. It's not just about Spock. Yeah. yeah no yeah. matter what Star Trek in general would have us think about that. Yeah. And so we don't really move much The only forward. other thing in Spock's mm-hmm. storyline, I guess, is Michael's change of heart from not wanting to see him to wanting to see him. But that's also kind of Saru's storyline. Okay, should we go to Saru's storyline next, or should we talk about the sphere? Let's... I guess... Oh, I don't know. I mean, Saru almost... They're tied together. Yeah, they are kind of. Let's do both. So a big spider captures them. But it's not an actual spider. It's a rock. A red rock. That's alive. Yes, and full of info. And it implants a virus into the ship, and everyone goes all speaky weirdy. Yes, which is a classic Trek problem that they encounter. Like, this is a classic storyline. And I will say, just before that, they had that great scene in, I guess, the ready room, where everybody was just sort of sitting around chatting. A, a conference room, maybe, where they were just having... Uh... The only reason I think it was the ready room is because the the announcement said, you know, go to the ready room, Pike. Not oh. in those words. And then he was like, oh, I'm late, I have to go. And then he showed up just in time to dismiss the meeting, basically. But whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, you're right. Good catch. But it um, had a callback to the whole Linus had a cold thing, and we see that Saru is getting sick, mm-hmm. and which is interesting. And he salt. This is when he salts his tea, doesn't it? Yes. Isn't it? He asks for the salt in his tea. We get confirmation he does salt his tea. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. It is against the laws of humanoids and non-humanoids. For those who watched the uh, Short Treks episode about Saru, I feel that their lifestyle with so much salt water, it at least, you know, makes logical sense to me, even though I still find it rather disgusting. Um, Also, this, like, conference scene is a very, again, classic Trek sort of scene where the bridge crew is assembled to discuss the current problem and go through options. Right. And then we learn that we're going to be following Spock. Mm-hmm. But then the sphere is like, nope, 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 and they're caught in a web. Yes. Big giant rock spider. Yeah. And they chose to make it red, which I think might be confusing some people. <laughs> it might turn out to be significant. It might turn it, out to be related. It could. I could will be. say that's what I thought when they were first stuck there. I was like, oh, it's red. Did they like accidentally find one of these red signatures? Because that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved the array of languages they were speaking. I wish there was more alien ones, but yes. Yeah. I'm, I had the benefit of watching with subtitles and they did put the languages that people were speaking next to the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they were cool. mostly like regular human languages, though. Yes. Yeah. So I wish they'd put a little bit more effort into some alien languages, but I understand why, like time and stuff, they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, Burnham speaks Klingon. Mm-hmm. Do you feel she did a good job with the Klingon? I think so. 
I, we've heard her speak Klingon before, haven't we? Last I season? So. I feel like yeah. we did. Yeah. So I seem to recall having this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that they'd mentioned already that Saru learned like 94 languages to yeah. try and help fit in. And so Burnham just like calls Saru back to the bridge and he goes through and is able to read and understand everything and fix it on the bridge. Yeah, I, that really showcased their relationship, I thought, because Saru, or like Burnham immediately knows that Saru can help and gets him to the bridge. And then he's, and then when she's explaining the problem, he's like, yeah, I, I've got eyes and ears. I can see <laughs> yeah. this. It's, I don't know, I thought it was a good sort of dynamic between them there. It was really great. And then him being all, didn't anybody bother to learn a foreign language? Yeah, I loved that line too. Which, to be fair, if I had a universal translator, like, I wouldn't either. Like, uh, why bother? I, I think I still would. I, but no, I, I wouldn't. I, I like languages, so. I do too. Like, I, I would be more... I would be more interested in learning a language that didn't, that like, that I would never use, like Latin or something, mm. because I like languages in like a historical sense, but, or, or an alien language, because that would be so different, but I wouldn't learn French, mm. but maybe I'm just bitter about French from <laughs> Canadian school system. Could be. I just like how languages actually sound. Mm. Um, I guess. I'm studying German now because that's my familial heritage. And if I ever get time to in the future, I really want to study Arabic. Hmm. So. I, I don't know. I would be too like, I have this toy that lets me speak anything. <laughs> I'm set. But we almost have that now, Kate. I know. It's exciting. Like we literally language gaps at work with when I'm dealing with uh, clients and customers. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes I just open Google Translate, type my question, and then turn my monitor around, and there we go. It's a translation for them. And it works? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because Google Translate can be a little shh. Yeah, but, you know, you choose your words. You're not going through anything complex. Right. And uh, they have a basic understanding of, you know, why they're in my office. So they have the context, kind of, to parse any weird translations. But, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. But anyways, back to the sphere. Mm -hmm. They go through all these sorts of things. It's still wreaking havoc. They can't move. And... They need to try and get enough power to break away. In the meantime, Saru is getting sicker and sicker. And, like, other things are happening around the ship, but we're going to get to those afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so Saru's getting sicker and sicker, and they take him to sick bay, and he says that he knows what's happening to him, and this is part of the Kelpian life cycle or whatever, and that he's dying. Yes. There's these flashes of ultraviolet light that he's seeing that are, like, overwhelming him and causing him pain, and... And he's just in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I feel like he and Burnham have, like, a lot of, like, heart-to-heart sort of talks in different rooms on the ship. 
Yeah, and they're, but like, so he's dealing with that, and they're still trying to eradicate the virus that the the sphere has put onto the ship, mm-hmm. and figure out what's going on and how they can get away. And meanwhile, learning about Saru's home and the Kelpian life and how, you know, at one mm-hmm. day in their life, they just get sick and get into a lot of pain and then cut off their ganglia and die. Yeah. Or yeah. go to that weird thing from the, the short. I forget yeah. which. Or whatever. Yeah, they go to the culling. The culling. Or they go mad and die. Um, and yeah... What did you think about the scene in the sick bay when Pike and Burnham first take Saru there? Mm-hmm. And they're just, like, holding people's wounds closed, you know, while they discuss things. Honestly, I didn't notice. <laughs> uh, okay. Can't okay. Star Trek people just, like, beam <laughs> wounds closed? I don't know, like, laser? I don't know, they have Healy things? They they do they do but when you have so many wounded people coming in at once there's only so many so much equipment to go around, um, but that's where Burnham gets the idea of digital antibodies, for right the virus. right yes, and then she leaves sick bay to go work on that and Saru goes to try and help her because other parts of the ship are still having translation issues, right uh, that's that's where they bring up that life support is down to forty seven percent. Is that a thing? It is a thing. And I didn't actually realize it was a thing until Matthew on Twitter uh, pointed it out. So thank you, Matthew. But yeah, there is a Star Trek thing with the number 47. It comes from one of the uh, producers who was part of this uh, society about the number 47 and about how it, it's a little odd. You can read about it. But anyways, if, if you I'm pay sorry, attention... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A producer was part of a secret society about 47? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, I don't think it was a secret society. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing you've ever said. Okay, here we go. From This is from Memory Alpha, which is the Star Trek fan wiki. Uh, so the number 47 makes frequent recurrences in dialogues and on computer screens in Star Trek. The origin of the significance of 47 can be traced to the next generation and Voyager writer Joe Minoski, who attended Pomona College in California. There is a club at Pomona called the 47 Society, which claims that there exists a mathematical proof that all numbers are equal to 47, and that the number 47 occurs with greater frequency in nature than other numbers. 74 makes frequent appearances, reappearances as well. He- so it became a bit of an in joke. Who <laughs> that forty that all, all that all numbers are equal to forty seven. You know what? I'm not a mathematician, but that seems like a whole bunch of hooey. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it's a thing in Star Trek. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, Saru and Burnham have another good talk. And Saru wants Burnham to have his personal logs officially cataloged so that when General Order 1 doesn't apply to the Kelpians, they can read about his journey and know that such a thing is possible. It's very touching. Saru gives a very good speech on refugees, which I feel is very pointed at the current situation with refugee crises going on Mm -hmm. in the United States and in other places as well. And he starts to say why he can never return home, and then gets cut off. 
But it's just that he promised Giorgio, right? Or like that was part of the deal of him leaving, that he could never go back. Yeah, I wondered why they like why they're making such a dramatic thing about it because I was like, yeah, General Order One, he can't go back now. He's part of Starfleet. He has to follow Starfleet yeah. orders. Um, is there something else that's going on? Yeah, that's what and, I was thinking at first too. But then it wasn't that. It was just that couldn't go home. Yeah, so I feel like this was a bit of like unnecessary like drama. I I actually feel like the Saru and Burnham extremely emotional discussions are just a bit overdone for my liking. I wish we'd gotten to see more of a buildup in their relationship this season before this. Because mm-hmm. near the end, when she does sort of break down and start crying, it just felt, it did feel too much. It felt like we didn't have quite enough on-screen history between them. Mm-hmm. Like, I believed it, but I didn't feel it. I guess is what I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I love Saru's refugee speech mm-hmm. in that scene. Um, I enjoyed that part of it, but it felt like there was just a lot of stuff in here to get us more emotionally involved. It felt a bit like they were trying to manipulate me to really feel Burnham's inner conflict and like i got it already i i had it before any of this she feels really conflicted about seeing spock again and she wants to save him and this just felt like a bit unnecessary flip-flopping to draw it out and fill time and yeah yeah i did like when they talked about their own siblings and called each other you know sister and that was really nice, but I do mm-hmm. think that they got, I don't know, there was just something a little off between their interactions. Yeah. It wasn't, like, like it wasn't quite earned or something. Yeah. And also, like, they're trying to get us to really feel sad because Saru is dying. Yeah. And I'm like, they're not killing Saru off. I know this. Yeah, that was another thing. Like, we knew he wasn't going to die, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then uh, they decide to go to Saru's quarters. And I love Saru's quarters. They were very nice. He just like, you know. But wait, hold on. Is this Moss is af- bombed the whole thing. <laughs> but this is after they solved oh, yeah. the whole thing with the sphere. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. I'm getting ahead of myself. So first... Then they go to the bridge because they've Saru has figured it out that yeah. So when Saru was talking about his, cataloging his life, mm-hmm. he sort of made the connection. That's what the sphere wants too, right? So they go to the bridge and explain that what they have to do is drop their shields and let a hundred thousand years of knowledge be downloaded into their computer systems and not get the audience to think about the actual feasibility of the time involved in that much data transfer. And then the sphere can die. I mean, this is the future. I'm sure things are faster now. I mean, do you remember what downloading was like 15 years ago? I sure, I certainly do. Yes, I so do. So I'm, I'm sure it's sped up quite a bit in the future. I'm sure it has been. <laughs> So they managed to convince Pike, and... This will, however, force them to lose Spock's warp signature. Mm Mm-hmm. But 
They do it. They do it. Yes. And the sphere thing reverses its stasis field so that discovery doesn't get blown up as well. Yeah, so the information is downloaded, the spear explodes, but it like pushes discovery out of the way. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, like that must still have some effects being pushed around, even if you've got like artificial gravity or whatever. Well, and like a big shield so that most things get deflected around you. But they dropped their shield. No, but the thing that was holding them in place, mm. that was preventing them from moving, got like wrapped around it. I guess. I don't know. It just seems like there would still be some physical effects to being, to having like this big ass spaceship pushed. Mm-hmm. Like physical effects to the crew on board. I don't know anything about physics though, so let's move on. Yes. The day is saved, but Saru still dying. Yes. So, they go to Saru's quarters. Yes. Which are awesome. Yes. Uh, Just moss and plants everywhere. I mean, to me, personally, that looks like a lot of work to maintain. I'm not about that. But Saru likes that sort of thing. Then that's that's his thing. And... I'm a fake plant person. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) And then he is... We get to see him all shirtless and everything like that. And we have another good discussion between Saru and Burnham. It's very, you know, emotional. And and she has I, to cut off his ganglia. She has to cut off his ganglia. He asks her to fix her relationship with Spock because he can't fix his relationship with his sister. And I'm wondering why they don't consult a doctor now to see if this, anyway, if the... I think yeah. Saru was had given up hope, you know? Yeah, fair enough. But Federation doctors have never studied this process. So, and then if you think that your dying is connected to, like, the effects of this sphere thing, and now the sphere thing is gone, maybe you could reverse the process. I just, yeah. They just seem to all give up. Like, Michael doesn't call a doctor. No, like. Yeah, well, but we all know how Discovery feels about calling Medbay. Well, that is true. That's true. They are just seem to have phobias with regards to seeking medical help. I mean, I guess one of the doctors got, you know, his neck snapped one time. So now they're just like, maybe, maybe it's the haunted doctors don't or feel like cursed or something. I don't know. Maybe the doctors are now a little timid about uh, doing one-on-one yeah. patient conferences as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so she goes to cut off his ganglia. They all fall out. And suddenly, Saru is not only better, but different. The fear has left him, and he feels more like himself and more powerful than he ever has before. That's right. And dun, he, dun, dun. He also realizes that the central organizing truth around which his species has been operating has now been proven wrong. And this is how they're going to justify going back to Saru's people and messing with them. Yeah. But I believe that logic is flawed because Michael brought up the same point about those people on the planet, how... So, okay. They're... Anyway. I suspect we're going to have opportunity to argue this later. Yes. When it happens. But my thing is, it feels like there is a more advanced, possibly warp having 
um, um, species also either on or near that planet that is enslaving them. Yes. Right? So I can see where if that's the case, that, and, and that species is also native to that planet, then you could argue that it, you know what I mean? That they do have warp technology, it's just being hidden from them. Yes. Now, slightly crazy theory here, but crazy. I also wonder if... Because they don't actually, we didn't see the other species mm -hmm. in anything. And it seems like they have it set up so that Kelpians don't see the other species either. Oh, so it could just be Kelpians. That's what I'm wondering. Ah. Kelpians enslaving Kelpians. I mean, that's more accurate to human history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Anyway, yeah. That's my crazy theory. It's probably wrong. But that's okay. We all know how well I can live in denial of these things. And we all know how you and I like to come up with theories that sound perfect, and then we were super wrong. Yes. That's okay. Um, so yeah, so that is like the somewhat messy Saru Sphere storyline. Mm -hmm. This had a lot of incredibly classic Star Trek feels. Including... The number 47. That's, that's right. That's right. Most ridiculous had... thing I've ever learned. I'm sorry. <laughs> Every number is equal to 47. Okay. Okay. The whole, uh, the ship is suddenly in peril from this strange thing that they don't understand and is now in crisis and needs to get out. And then you discover that, oh, this thing was actually just trying to communicate with us. Very, very classic Star Trek. Um, the whole, like, babble thing where everybody's speaking different languages happens a number of times in Star Trek. I just thought series. it was Babel. Probably. But I could be wrong because... Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I thought it was Babel. It could be Babel. Anyways. Um, they both sound is, wrong now that we've said them. Of course. But anyways, it's classic Star Trek. And then that whole, like... Saru is being affected by the outside alien presence again is sort of all very classic Star Trek. Did it feel welcoming to you? I, I don't know how else to describe that. It felt very familiar. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Shall we talk about May and Stamets and um, I have no idea what Tignatera's character is named. Engineering Reno. lady. Her last name is Reno. Reno. Hmm. Um, also a character in Final Fantasy. I should be able to remember that. Okay. This storyline also felt very classic Star Trek for me. Do they drill into a lot of heads in classic Star Trek? Uh, no. I'm glad no. to know Trepanation is not a big Star Trek theme, because it's not my favorite, you know? Not a fan. Yeah. No, not a fan of that either. But again, it's sort of like they have this alien species here that was taking over Tilly, but that was just trying to communicate. I don't know. This one felt more uh, malicious than this fear. It sure does. And I think they're doing that on purpose because I think there's going to be a switch. Like, I think there's going to be a turn on it. There's already been a slight turn in this episode because she's like, hey, there's this, like alien species that keeps like ripping through our ecosystem messing everything up and then they're like oh yeah it's us isn't it yeah uh-huh that's right it's you guys no more spore drive 
Yeah. I, I still think it feels like, obviously, like, no more spore drive. Got it. This is how they're getting rid of that. But mm. it still just uh, feels more malicious than it needs to be. I don't know. So I think they're going to have, because they are like, we still have plans for Tilly. Yeah, well, I'm assuming Tilly's not dead, so. Yeah. Uh, but they say that, like, we're not done with Tilly yet. And I think oh, that they... Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry, I thought you meant, like, the Star Trek writers. You meant the no, spores. No, no, no. Carry on. Yeah. The spores are not done with Tilly. I think they need to get her into the network because I think Culber is in there and he's disrupting things and they need to have her help get him out. Right. Okay. And I think that's going to be where we see the turn that it's like, you know, they're actually trying to fix some stuff in there and this is how Culber is going to be restored and brought back. I gotcha. I gotcha. I am interested to see where this goes and i want to I, I hope we learn more about why it did choose may because tilly talks about that a little bit and how she feels she let may down and wasn't a good friend to her or maybe about why the writers chose may or like where tilly's going in this season i'm i'm interested to learn more about that yeah i i felt that too like that was like oh they're teasing a little bit about what's going on here yeah and then obviously they didn't get to that and so i'm thinking next episode Okay, wait. As a quick aside, I went to the 47 Society website. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it looks like I made this in 2001. <laughs> like, I know this HML. H HTML. <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. Um, but anyways, back to the actual like things that happen. They get locked yep. in the spore room thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they all get shocked. They all get shocked, and, and Tilly's and hair is fabulous. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, you have to have that lightning hair bit. Uh, so they get locked in there, and that ends up uh, getting the creature out of stasis, and it attaches back to Tilly. Yeah, they kind of electrocute the door, and it sends everything crazy, and yeah. So then, yeah, the alien's out, it attaches itself to Tilly, and they have to figure out a way to communicate with May. Yes. And that is why they drill in to Tilly's head with an actual drill and not, as Reno says, like one of those laser uh, things. A laser scalpel. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And and they establish that this, the creature might be um, uh, affecting her. Yeah. Uh, for different reasons. And they're, they're trying to figure out what reasons those might be. So, yes, yeah, so they decide to drill into her head. Uh, we find out that Tilly's favorite song is Space Odyssey Oddity, which, yes. Yeah, it's a good song. Why, not? Why wouldn't it be? It's an awesome song. Um, and now I want the outtake of just the crew singing Space Oddity. But Did you see them singing Rent? Yes. Yes, I did. And they had... Um, the Carpool Karaoke. <sighs> The carpool karaoke. Yeah. I was trying to think of the actors' names, and I just keep thinking of the characters' names. Michael and Stamets and... And Saru and Tilly. For some reason, I almost said Mary, because I remembered that Tilly's name is Mary. Yeah. Um, I, I saw that they did carpool karaoke, but I haven't been able to watch the episode or anything. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. We can do this. We can do this without Google. Sonequa. Sonequa. <laughs> Mary. Mary. Doug. Doug. And the guy from Rent. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's um, it's Doug Jones, Sneaker Martin Green, Mary Wiseman, and fuck. 
I have literally nothing. I I have walked by this man in Central Park. Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp. Oh, yes. Okay. So. Um, Jesus. That was a good tangent. Okay. Okay. Anyways. So they communicate with May and she does, you know, say basically stay out of our, stay out of our home land yeah. area. You're messing yeah. shit up and we don't like you. Mm-hmm. But also they want Tilly and we don't know why. Yeah. She gets covered. Um, they use a torch to cut her out of this cocoon thing until he seems okay at first. And then, and then when, this, of course, when the sphere does that thing with the pushing back, she's just mysteriously mm-hmm. gone. They try digging into it again, and nothing. She's not there. Well, it's not just that she's mysteriously gone. This, uh, uh, Stamets and Reno start, like, Oh, yeah, they get high. Yeah, and uh, he figures out what's happening, and he like does the thing to like bring him down, and then he they realize that Tilly's gone, and they do the whole like looking into the fungus thing and for her, and yeah, that was hilarious, and I kind of wished we'd had Anya for this episode. I know because one of the things I saw about this episode, which is actually really good, it's a comic called Suddenly Anemic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do screen caps with, like, comic bubble, uh, dialogue as a recap. Um, and it's incredibly snarky about this episode. I haven't checked the recaps for other episodes. But, yeah, they did the, the screenshot of, like, Stamets and Reno there cutting into this giant fungus and being shot in the face with all these, like, spore dust. And they're like... And apparently we don't have any safety equipment, like no goggles, no, <laughs> before we do any of these things. <laughs> Even though Stamets is a scientist, and this is proper procedure. Nice. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Zero effort to pre- prevent ourselves from getting infected, uh, infected with one of these things. That was hilarious, and I loved it a lot. Yeah. And I loved all of the banter between Reno and Stamets. Yes, they were so good. The the sort of the old tried and true versus um, sustainability and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And but also with a little bit of like you don't really know what this is. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that was yeah. some really good uh, banter and also debate. Debate is the word I was looking for. Yes, yeah. And then just even her being witty and funny and being like. Yeah, I could fix that with duct tape <laughs> and all the different little quips she threw at him. I love her so much, it. and I want her to be in every episode. Yeah, there's actually some speculation online about her becoming the chief engineer. I because hope. we haven't seen a chief engineer, so maybe she will get permanently assigned. It depends on the actress's schedule and conflicts and what she has going on if she wants this, but character-wise... Yeah. I just want Reno in everything. She's so good. I know. I know. I like that the Discovery crew is a lot more... uh, There's a lot of charisma. There's a lot of really unique personalities. Mm -hmm. And I think it reflects a much better balance of, like, real life. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Feels like Um, a workplace. Yes. Yes. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think I don't think there's much else to say about the uh, the storylines. 
No, although my favorite was definitely the May Tilly storyline. See, I didn't much care for that storyline, but I liked all the character interactions the best in that one. Okay. Like... I just found the Saru storyline overly sentimental. Oh, no, I didn't much care for that one either. Like, this is this is kind of the thing. I liked a lot of the character interactions and the writing and and the acting in this episode, but I, the overall story, I was just like, I don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I had to pick a favorite, I would say the May and St- Stamets and Tilly and Reno. But a lot of that is just because Tig and Tig slash Reno is so good with her, yeah, her deadpan... Yeah. And how she's kind of more ornery than Stamets is, but just in a completely different way. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the really memorable lines and really good dialogue mm-hmm. has been given to, like, Tilly and Stamets. Yeah. And then having them in a scene together and then riffing off with Reno and just, it's... Yeah, it was so good. So good, yeah. Um, I felt like it was a little bit too much all in one episode. Like, again, oh, we've got to get all this stuff conveyed and information in so that the events and episodes, you know, the next episodes make sense. So it felt like it was a little bit much. And then I also felt like we could have cut some of the emotional dialogue bits that were maybe not necessary. Yeah. I also would like to point out that I think now we've seen Pike have more lines with his former number one than his current uh, first officer. Uh I thought of that right away in this in the meeting at the beginning of the episode because like Saru is sick and Pike comes in and it basically says, Yeah, Saru, go, like leave. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what, you can't be in a scene together? They almost can't. Like or they can't have direct dialogue together. It's really weird. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in them, you know, having a conversation one time. One time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think that I've got too much else to say of it. When do you think we're going to see Spock? Now I'm really wondering if it's not going to be till like episode seven or eight. So on the current listing on Wikipedia, we've got two more episodes listed up to six. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's Saints of Imperfection and the Sounds of Thunder. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've sort of got three storylines that we're at a big point in. Mm -hmm. We have to find Tilly. Mm-hmm. Which presumably is also bring back Colbert. This, I feel, is immediate crisis. Uh, getting back to Saru's planet to figure out what the fuck's going on there. Right. And finding Spock. Yes. And the Spock and Saru one cannot be both done at the same time. Like, we have to finish one. Like, I don't think Pike is going to go to Saru's planet before catching up with Spock. Like, he's not going to divert. No, I don't think so. I don't think that that is the decision a good captain would make. So, um, we have to get the, Spock before finding out more about Saru. The only thing that they might do is they might let Saru go off on his own. I don't think Saru would but, want that. Or, I don't, well, I don't think the writers would want that. Yeah. Although it would, like, there would be more of him and Pike not having scenes together then. Mm-hmm. We also know that Section 31, we haven't seen the last of them this season. Right, but that feels less immediate. Yeah, but I'm wondering how they're going to intersect with this. Mm. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we haven't seen the last of the Klingons yet. Mm. But I might be wrong. Well, 
I, I do think the, the three that I mentioned are like the immediate ones that are going to be oh, yeah. pushing forward from the crew. Mm-hmm. And it, so the next one has to be either they catch Spock or Spock somehow disappears or evades them again. Plus mm-hmm. having to find Tilly because they can't just they can't just leave that for an episode. Yeah. And now they have the ethical dilemma of, um, you know, how do we access where she's gone? When we know it's incredibly disruptive to their ecosystem. Right. Or yeah. maybe when a crew's in peril, they just, like, you know, the life of the crewman, it will be uh, above the concern to the other alien species. That will be interesting to see how they do that. Because on one hand, I'm like, yeah, get Tilly back. I want Tilly. But also, mm-hmm. you know, like, we don't really know how bad they've disrupted things or what they've all, like, they really sort of jumped in the, to the whole spore drive thing blind. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what they've done to the network or whatever it calls itself. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see how much this is dealing with death and afterlife. Do you remember the name of the episode? No, I mean, uh, not just this episode. Oh. I, I mean, in general, how this season, because like, even from season one, they had this planned with Culber. I don't think they did. I think they meant to kill him off, and then everybody was real upset. So they were like, oh, don't worry, we'll bring him back. It's fine. <laughs> we have plans. Which, I mean, I'm not against that, because I honestly think if you have a good writing team, they should be able to do shit like that. Like with Tilly and May, like, you know, and the, the spore that landed on her. Like, connecting mm-hmm. those things. And making yeah. it feel like it was planned all along. Which maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but either way we don't notice it. Right. And yeah, with May as, as well, like they picked someone who was dead. And I wonder if they're going to get into that. Like they said that they just picked someone from Tilly's past that, uh, you know, that she might listen to. Right. But they also did pick someone who, you know, Tilly called a ghost and again, alludes to the afterlife. And then, Saru's whole, like, you know, this isn't an actual death. It's just a transition in their species. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess with the whole Red Angel thing, they knew that they were going to be going religious. So why not just, you know, have all this death stuff, too? Lean into it. Yeah. Give something for people to think about and talk about. Death and invading other ecosystems. And yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Should we? I was going to say, we should wrap this up. And recommendations? Do you have one? I don't. Um, I I need a minute. You need a minute? Yeah, I got nothing. I was thinking about this before, and I was like, oh, shit. Hey, how's Kingdom Hearts? Can you recommend it now? Oh, because I finished it. Yeah. I forgot that we recorded last week before I finished it. This is a real tough question. Um. Mm -hmm. Generally, if somebody was going to be talking to me and wanting to know if they should play the series, I would tell them to just play one and two because two has a good conclusive ending with like a and then they had more adventures type of epilogue and everything's fine. And just just don't don't get involved in the rest of the shit. Having already been involved in the rest of the shit, I was not at all happy with the ending because it wasn't really an ending and it just means there's going to be more. So I'll see you all in 20 years for Kingdom Hearts 4. Okay. Alrighty. I almost recommended because I've been, I got, because I went to PodCon last month, uh, this month? No, it was last month. Uh, 
I've I got the like remote access stuff, so I've been listening to all the things that I missed, and I was going to recommend some of that, but you, I actually no, you, you know what? I think you can still buy um the remote access. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in uh, some of the panels and workshops and stuff that happened at PodCon. I think the remote access is 40 American dollars, something like that. And it's not all up yet, but it is all going to be up. And some of it is really good. I'm enjoying the podcast scrambles, which I didn't make it to any of those panels. But basically, they take a person from one podcast and a person from another podcast and say, here, make a quick podcast together. And then they like do one episode of this alleged podcast that they would do together. And Hank Green and Taylor Smurl did one about um, the history of cocktails because Taylor Smurl's a, a bartender in Brooklyn, and it was really interesting. And I, I would love, like, I would love to listen to that podcast more. It was really good. So that's what I'm going to recommend: Remote Access Podcon Two. All right, all right. The thought of a podcast scramble sounds interesting for me to listen to, but the thought of me having to do one as a podcast host is terrifying. <laughs> I, they did. It's clear that they did have a chance to chat about it before they got on stage. They didn't just get up there and be like, oh, what do we want to do? <laughs> okay. So there was some planning, but it was not gotcha. not as much as you might put into an actual podcast. Right, right, right. I mean, which isn't to say I couldn't think of a lot of people who I would love to do a podcast with. Yeah. It's just the being put on a spot sort of thing. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm not an improv person. I'm... It's not my forte either, but um, they're they're fun to listen to and see what like people from two completely different shows came up with. Right. Okay. My recommendation is kind of a recommendation I've done before. There is a podcast called Superhero University. It's hosted by Joshua Unruh, who is a comic book enthusiast, and he's Superhero University is kind of about um, exposing people who maybe don't have a background in comics to a character through some of the more important and arguably better written comics about them. So he's done one for Wonder Woman, sort of give people a background into that character. He has also done one for uh, with Batman. And with the upcoming Captain Marvel, he's now doing one with Captain Marvel. And I haven't uh, gotten into it yet. I haven't bought the graphic novel that he's recommended and he's going through yet but i am going to because i am super excited about the captain marvel movie coming up i just am also super incredibly busy currently with work and studying and everything else so yeah so if you want to get excited about captain marvel and maybe you haven't read any of the comics but would like to jump into them and sort of go through them with the guidance of somebody who is a comic expert then i recommend checking that out that does sound cool all of my, like, Carol Danvers knowledge comes from the X-Men cartoon, even though she wasn't an X-Men, but, well, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's funny. I love comic book movies, but I never was into comic books as a kid because, of course, that wasn't anything my parents were into or any of my immediate friends. And as an adult, I feel it's overwhelming the amount of comics that are out there. And I'm also cautious to get stuck into a subscription service where I'm having to collect and subscribe to a lot of comics just to keep up. So I kind of like this method. It's like a curated uh, sampling of it so that I get to enjoy the comics. I get more background for the comic book movies. And 
without having to be overwhelmed with the choice and things like that. Yeah, I'm sad. I've tried many times to get into comics and I've read some, but when it comes down to it, I'd always just rather be reading a book than a comic right. book. We've for personally, we discussed this before. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Um, which sucks for me because there are some really, really good comics out there, but I just have a lot of trouble getting into them. But that does sound interesting, and I might take a listen to the Captain Marvel stuff because, again, my knowledge is limited and seen through the eyes of somebody who stole all her Carol Danvers' powers and put her in a coma. Right. Also, I would say that depending on your personality, you might not have to buy the book that he's going through. You could just listen to the podcast yeah. and get a lot of really good information and background on it. Um, that, just the same. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> um. But I think that is that. Shall we wrap yeah. her up? Sounds good. Uh, so thank everyone for listening. We love getting feedback. So if anyone wants to get in touch with us, you can email us at a command of her own at gmail.com on Twitter at command of her own. And we are on Instagram, Instagram.com slash a command of her own. I did share one screenshot from last week's episode, but I have another that I wanted to share as well. And I'll try and see if I can grab any from this week's episode as well. Uh, next week, we will be discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 5, Saints of Imperfection. And yeah, now I'm wondering who that's going to be about. Yeah, I well, we'll see. I don't want to be wrong again, mm -hmm. so let's not extrapolate extrapolate extra whatever okay. that word is extrapolate i've only read it before okay okay goodbye everyone bye <laughs>